Welcome back to the Naked Security Podcast. My name is Kimberly Trung, and to my virtual left, I have Doug Ameth. I am here physically, and that's good <laughs> enough sometimes. Fantastic. I'll take it. And to my virtual right, I have the wonderful Paul Ducklin. Hello, everybody. Hope you had a happy Easter. I did. It was very, very laid back. Indeed. Not an Easter guy. <laughs> it's a diabetic nightmare, for starters. It's just all candy. <laughs> and it's just cheap. It's crap. Like, we have kids. that Like, eggs and eggs and eggs full of, like, crap toys. And they're everywhere. Is it true that Kinder Surprise is banned in the US? Yeah, because the Kinders got too surprised. Because by... it's got a toy inside. <laughs> yeah. 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 So it can't be a food stuff. They think our kids are too dumb for it. So, yeah, we don't have the proper eggs like you would have. Uh, they are illegal contraband here in the US. Whoa. But they did make an American version of the Kinder Egg. Oh, you should see this thing, Paul. It is just a, it's a package you <laughs> it's open super up. Lame. There's an egg on one side and a toy on the other. It's like. It's not quite the same thing, is it? Embarrassing. No, it's not the same thing. Yeah. Um, the idea is that uh, the toy is inside the egg. Like, so let's take the toy out right. of the egg yeah, and just no. have a sign it's a saying, pretend it's inside. <laughs> the toy was I inside suppose. the tummy of the kid in America. <laughs> that, that, that's the surprise. <laughs> when I lived in Australia... My wife used to get me every year an Easter bilby, which is a marsupial. It's a way of saying, we, well, rabbits aren't really supposed to be in Australia, right? They're a little bit of a pest. So having the Easter bunny, it's maybe not something you exactly want to celebrate. So you get chocolate eggs celebrating indigenous marsupials like Easter bilbies. <laughs> it's dead cool. That's adorable. <laughs> love it. Yeah, I they're great. That. So before we get into the show, um, we have a really great show for you. I'll quickly tease out the Oh No, which obviously happens at the end of our show if you stick around. But the Oh No of the week is watch out who you're dialing. So stick around. But before we get into that, I know we have been doing these very casual recommendations at the top of the show, and I was not in last week's episode, and it was because I was out in the desert. So my recommendation this week is that I think everybody should go out to the desert at some point for a few days. I had a very lovely time in Joshua Tree National Park. I went to a coffee place just outside the park. If you just so happen to find yourself in this part of the country or the world, uh, head on over to the Joshua Tree Coffee Company. And I swear to you, it is the best coffee I've ever had in my life. It is a very, uh, it, you can you definitely will miss it if you are not looking for it. So check it out. Joshua Tree National Park and Joshua Tree Coffee Company. Highly, highly recommend. Doug, do you have a recommendation? My recommendation is a video game. It is called Far Cry 5. It's about th It just celebrated its third birthday. I picked up the PC version on sale for $12. Do not pay full price for this game. This was kind of a gamble for me. It's an open world, first person shooter. I don't really love open world games. I want to be told what to do and enjoy the story. And also the gameplay mechanics for a shooter have to be just right. So fortunately this game does a good job of moving you along inside of a larger, albeit sometimes confusing plot line and the mechanics of shooting stuff and blowing stuff up and tooling around in airplanes and helicopters and cars are just right. Took about 25 hours to beat it. Fun game. Don't take it too seriously. Pick it up on sale if you can. Got it. Don't pay any more than $20 for this game. That's only 25 hours, guys. Wow. <laughs> 25 now hours. Now we know what Doug's doing during the workday. Uh, JK, a JK. a playlist in that time, dude. And Duck, do you have a recommendation for us this week? 
it's a, it's not quite my usual type of band, but they are quite cool. Like if you like uh, if you like cosmic stuff, you'll like these guys. Very ecologically sound. Greek band again. These guys are villagers of Ioannina City because that's where they come from. Cool. Is it good for programming? Of course. Great. <laughs> you won't get a non-programming music recommendation. That was close. I did have someone say, can we have an article on Naked Security in which you uh, maintain all the recommendations so we can go back and check? Uh, you could put a playlist together of all your... Playlist? Yeah. I will put that together. If we, I mean, I'll put together a Spotify playlist or something. Uh, that sounds fun. Wow. Let, guys, what started as a one-time recommendation thing has now turned into a hot list... <laughs> Uh, for all the sources of fun and great and entertaining things for our listeners to watch and view and visit and do whatever. Anywho, uh, we got to get into this episode. Doug, what is happening in the news? We're going to talk about census scams. We're going to talk about, again, Mm -hmm. about bag bounties. We got a hot new one right off the press. And Dutch regulator busts booking.com. That's a Cautionary tale and how late is too late. But first, fun fact. Only one side Mm -hmm. of the moon is visible from Earth because the moon rotates about its spin axis at the same rate that the moon orbits the Earth, a situation known as synchronous rotation or tidal locking. Also, everyone knows there's an alien base on the dark side of the moon, so they probably have something to do with (laughs) us never seeing that side. Am I right, Kim? Yeah, 100%. That's a conspiracy theory I can get behind. Hundo P. Uh, Let's talk about these uh, census scams. This one, as someone that's uh, kind of a connoisseur of good scams, (laughs) this is pretty close. The text message was was, pretty close. And once you click through, it's pretty good. Right, Paul? It's amazing. uh, Okay, so this this one was specifically targeted at people in the UK, in particularly people in the UK or not in Scotland, because due to the pandemic, they're taking of the census which is normally every decade that ends in a one there's a delay till next year but it's census time and it was the 21st sunday the 21st of march i believe and it's mandatory to participate and there genuinely is a 1000 pound fine pot that you could possibly get if your household doesn't complete the form and of course the way they do it in this digital age is you get something through the snail mail that is guaranteed pretty much to arrive at your physical address and when you open up there's a magic 16 character like a base 32 code in there you go to the website you type it in you confirm your postcode and address so that matches you up you do the return so they know which households haven't completed the form now, I know somebody who did complete it, but they still got a couple of follow-up messages before it sunk in saying, you could get fined, it's a £1,000, here's a new code, it's not too late, you can still provide the data. And there are a whole lot of questions in there, and many of them are mandatory. Some of them, like religion, are voluntary, but it doesn't stop you finishing the census submission if you've left out things that you're supposed to put in. So what the crooks have done, I guess they figure it's better to have partial data than no data. Uh, so what the crooks have done, cannily, is SMS, census. There is missing information from your census application. To update, please visit blah to avoid £1,000 fine. 
The thing is that a lot of engagements, I don't know how it is in the US, but with the UK government, like if you're applying for a visa or a license or this permit or that permit or whatever, there's a you get a login, you go to the site, you start completing the application. And if you suddenly realize, oh, I don't have all the stuff, there is a save and continue button on almost all government forms. It's very handy, but it does mean that this idea of here's a link to continue where you left off is not at all unusual. Our government sites here in the U.S. for something like this would be similar, except it would be like uh, GeoCities Beige, and it might be hosted on GeoCities, and there would be a, that animated <laughs> GIF of under construction, and it would say, you know, call your local office or send it in the mail or Go there yourself. I, I don't want to be rude, but there are some .gov sites that really are. It really is like you expect to go to the bottom and see. Why not join our web ring? There's no saving your progress on these. Forms. If you remember those, please ensure you have Microsoft front page extensions enabled for this site. On like, the other hand, like you that. can understand like, that, right? Because it's absolutely the least common denominator here. They, you know, in the UK, they do make them look quite good, and they've copied it exactly. Now, not all of it works, so there's a bit at the top that says Cymraeg Welsh, and that doesn't... Perfect. I think I did a bit of a Welsh accent for the word Welsh there. <laughs> uh, that doesn't work. But once you go in, apart from putting in your postcode to confirm the household that you're in, rather than the magic code, which you would already have put in, because remember, you're going back to correct bits that you left out... Uh, the questions, basically, it's like the census. Now, I don't have a record of what all the questions were, but they've basically just copied the pages and you're just giving away all this information, which includes, you know, your name and your address and your DOB and all of that stuff. The point is that by the time you realise it's fake, even if you don't get to the end, every page you've visited, they've already got that much data. They're already primed for identity theft and every little bit extra you give about you know, how many people live in the household, how many work, etc. Although you should spot it, it's the kind of thing that government websites do. Save and continue, get this link, the link arrives in an email, and you can go back later and carry on where you left off and correct your mistakes and do a final submission. I looked up the fine in the U.S. for not filling out the U.S. census. It's only 100 bucks. You guys take this a lot more seriously. I think if you tried to charge people $1,000 here, they would re revolt. <laughs> this is true. A lot of things here are a thousand pounds. It's 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 like this, that's the fine for trespassing on the railway, for example, one thousand. They just keep it wow. nice and round, big round number. It's still scary. I mean, it is actually yeah. quite dangerous to go on the just railway scary enough, where man. you're not oh. supposed to be there because you you can get chopped in half. I mean, um, yeah. But you know, <laughs> the point here yeah, is it. That. When I saw this, it was submitted by a reader. Said so I don't know how I got on this list, but you know, and the URL's crazy. But apart from that. There's no obvious reason for me to disbelieve the whole principle of it. It is census time. There is a £1,000 fine. And it is possible to think you've completed the form while leaving some data out. Yeah, I think this goes back to um, us, I think, banging our drum listeners. You probably heard us say this before, but it's just like looking for the tiny details yes. that feel off. Like if I'm looking at the text message, right, that you have a screenshot of in the article, and it literally says, uh, you know, census, there is missing information from your census application, update your application, please visit www.digital-amend-redacted.com to avoid a $1,000 fine. Again, this URL is crazy. Like, why would I ever, if I look closely at that, why would I 
think that has anything to do with the UK. And yet a lot of URLs you get are a bit weird, right? They might be from some, a lot of people do surveys and things through third party firms. And then if it's a, if it's one of these catch up links, then it often has a whole load of weird stuff at the end. So in a way, it's almost like as much as we've been taught to be really, really scrupulous about links, it's also increasingly common that we just click them and it all works out fine, even when they look like the weirdest thing in the world. You know, think of Google search links. Mm. I mean, they just or, or, you know, the link, for example, for the Naked Security podcast on Google Podcasts. It's something like podcast.google.com slash longest string of random base 64 characters you've ever seen. Like, I don't even recognize our own URL there. And yet, when I click it, hey, I go to the Naked Security Podcast. Woohoo. So, you you know, we're kind of softened up for well, all of this, Well, yeah, right? but I'm talking about the portion before the .com bit. You know what I mean? Like digital-amend-blah-blah-blah.com. Like, that's crazy. What is that? Like, I, yeah. I, it, I think... That would play better in the U.S. where the government websites, I'm like, what's the, I live in Marblehead. Right. What's the town of Marblehead website? They're like, oh, it's easy. It's www. There's four W's dot government dot local dot state dot ma dot us acronym yeah Yeah, they could have indeed they could have they could have chosen more wisely in this case but the point is if you just tap it and you go through you think oh hang on maybe it wasn't a scam oh that is the census website look it's it's exactly right and yeah like you say the devil's in the details and the other advice let's give it now we always give it and it really works is in a case like this, simply ignore the link in the message. If it's true that you need to go back, use the URL you used last time that's written on the letter that dropped through your letterbox that said go to www.census.gov.uk and put in this magic code. So go back where you went last time for something that you know you had in your hand with the URL on it before this message came out. That way, if the message is fake, you'll find out because you'll go in and there'll be there'll be no warning that you need to do anything. Or if the message was true, then you'll find out that it's true and you'll get the you'll get the clear and accurate answer either way. Exactly the same if it's a home delivery, go to the courier company using the website you know. If it's your bank and you need to phone them up or contact them, use information off the brochure you got when you opened your account, whatever it is. Something that predates the message and therefore cannot be controlled or manipulated by the crooks. Okay, that is criminals send out fake census form reminder. Don't fall for it on nakedsecurity.sophos.com. All right, our next story. We are getting back into bag bounties. That's correct, B-E-G bounties, not bug bounties, beg, as in I am begging you to listen to this next next segment. Um, So you are probably familiar with the popular practice of bug bounty programs. Our very own Chester Wisniewski um, did a great article on this on uh, news.sophos.com. We'll share that in the show notes. But um, if you aren't familiar with uh, bug bounty programs, essentially it's where an organization offers rewards or bounties to security researchers who ethically disclose security vulnerabilities in said company software. Organizations can set terms for the different kinds of rewards. So typically the more severe the flaw, the higher the bounty. 
If you are like Doug Duck and myself and you work for a software company, uh, regardless of whether or not you have a bug bounty program in place, you probably, you or your team, uh, someone on your team may have received a bag bounty. Again, a B-E-G bounty. So um, uh, Chester in this article goes on to explain that bag bounties uh, run the gamut from honest ethical disclosures that share all the needed information to help you out and close up that bug. Um, and then they hint that it might be nice if you send them a reward, uh, but they can also go all the way uh, to the other side of the spectrum to basically extortion and demanding payment without providing any sort of sufficient information to determine the validity of the demand. So I just said a mouthful there. Duck, you received a big bounty this week. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Well, at Naked Security, we get them a lot, like you said. Uh, and no sooner had we discussed putting this segment into the show, given that Chester is about to do a follow-up uh, on Beg mm. Bounties this week on news.sofos.com. Like you said, he wrote that article before. And then at the end, he said, hey, if you've got any good ones, let me know. And he actually uh, did get some good <laughs> He He, he got oh what, he, what he wanted, um, which you know makes an interesting story about, like you say, the two different sides. The people who are just basically, hey send me five bucks i'm hungry and the people like literally begging and and other people going you know i send me money and i'll tell you what it is and lo and behold no sooner we agreed to do this segment one dropped into naked security mailbox it's somebody who's contacted us before they claimed oh we found a problem with your website actually Uh what they'd done is they'd done a scan of you know, presumably a million mail servers around the world or companies looking at their what are called their DMARC records, which is a record you can keep in the domain name system in DNS for your company that basically helps people understand where mail from your organization ought to come from. And then you can say, by the way, if you get mail that says it comes from, say, sophos.com, that doesn't come from any of these listed servers here are the things you should do about it. Now, there are various technologies. There's SPF, there's DKIM, and then on top of that, there's this thing called DMARC, which is just a way of a company saying, we're prepared to say, if it doesn't match exactly, we're happy for you to quarantine or reject or throw away this message. Now, many companies, Sophos included, we don't go the whole way. We tell you how to find out that it's probably ours, but because all kinds of things can go wrong, we don't actually have a DMARC record that is exactly what this chap might have wanted. Now, that's not wrong. It's it would be nice if we if we did it the the the, the severe way, but it's not wrong that we don't. It certainly is not a vulnerability, and it definitely isn't in our website. Um, <laughs> so imagine this guy's got a million DMARC records. He's found all the ones that aren't as strict as they could be, and he's fired off this exact same email to all those companies saying, your DMARC record, instead of saying, I wish it were stricter, that would be nice, which would be a fair thing to say, he's actually gone, this is a weakness in your website, you know, I need to be recognised. And basically said, I'm, <coughs> cough, cough, I'm hoping to receive a bug bounty reward. Uh, And this is the second time we've got it. Now, imagine he's probably got thousands, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of these out there waiting for people to respond in some way. And then they might get sucked in. 
And you know that, as we know from Chester's article before, he said in one of the cases he followed up with one of these chaps, and it was just some seemed to be some youngster who did have an actual cybersecurity business consultancy operating out of Pakistan. He was just trying to drum up business. He wasn't trying to be devious. He wasn't telling any lies. He was maybe over-egging the pudding a little bit. And he did reveal what he was on about. It wasn't very serious. Certainly wasn't a vulnerability. It wasn't one that would be in scope. Chester did this on behalf of another company uh, where someone he knows works with their permission. Can't take this guy back. So this, this guy wasn't this wasn't a Sophos thing. It was some random other company. And, you know, it just ended. They kind of agreed to disagree. And the guy, he was probably just trying it on, right? He was just a little bit. Mm, right. What did, what does he have to lose? Yeah. And he was kind of, and as Chester said, one thing he guaranteed is I'll never do business with the guy because that's not how you win friends and influence people. He has to learn that and he's going to learn it from me the hard way. But he didn't actually mm. claim to have found a flaw that didn't exist and then say, send me money and then I'll take the money and run away with it. Um, so I imagine this guy's contacted us today. He's in the same boat. He's found, <laughs> I got this, t- I don't know whether it's an American term, but I got this from Chester. Chester calls it a nothing burger. and i just love that term and that's this is a nothing burger right yeah it's you open the bun it's not even got a lettuce in uh, uh, (laughs) sometimes paul no iceberg if you over egg the pudding you get a you get a nothing burger yeah okay that's all that's yes i like all these food uh, i love it yeah do not over egg the pudding lest you get it The problem the problem with this is this guy can just be ignored. He doesn't know what he's talking about. He's just trying it on. And, you know, if we wanted to send him a free pair of socks for saying, well, thanks very much, woo-hoo, like, it wouldn't be any harm done. But we're not going to. Uh, the real problem comes when, of course, the person, it, when it is essentially extortion, that they're right. making all these claims with a little bit of maybe fake information, just a little bit of stuff that might trick you or that might lead you to think, well, they sort of know this, that or the other. And that is why many companies, Sophos included, use third party companies to manage their bug bounty programs because they provide like an objective third party outside source because it is quite problematic dealing with all this stuff, particularly when, like the guy who emailed Naked Security today, it's clearly automated. He, Like I said, he's probably got a list with thousands or maybe tens of thousands of organizations there that are all getting the same thing. According to our security team, we get these at soft, for Sophos.com all the time, this DMARC thing. Because it sounds believable and he's got links and when you look them up, it said, yeah, it would be really nice if you were super strict. You don't have to be, but. So it kind of sounds believable. Mm-hmm. Um, so life's too short, unfortunately, to deal with all this kind of stuff for the yeah. fear that you might miss the one person. Maybe they don't even want money, but they're trying to tell you something really important. And what happens if that falls through the cracks? Because there's all this stuff about, hey, I ran an automated scan. I have no idea what this means, but I want to scare you into giving me business. You remind me of our special episode with Katie Mazuris, uh, the mother of Microsoft's bug bounty program. And she talks a lot about just the volume and how companies struggle with bug bounties. So if you, listener, are at a company where you do not have a bug bounty program or you yourself want to look into one, I highly recommend checking out our special episode with 
with Katie Mazuris uh, because she just lays out the, the, the landscape in terms of what bug bounties look like, what successful bug bounty programs look like, um, and how companies are still struggling. So check it out. Yes, and there's that great article from Chester, which is like the other side of the story, which is uh, one of the people who contacted him. It's a legitimate security team for an, an open source web content management system uh, called Typo3. And uh, they had a situation where somebody pointed out some relatively minor issue with their server. They were giving out like a version number string that was more detailed than they need to. Now, that's not a vulnerability. It's not a bug. You're perfectly entitled to do that. But generally, kind of the less you tell the crooks about exactly which version you're using, the better. It's not really security through obscurity. It's just something you can do. And so... They tried to be nice, and they sent this guy some swag. Uh, mm. You know, like the proverbial pair of socks to say, oh, thanks. <laughs> T-shirt. And, yeah. of course, he went on Twitter, and he told his buddies, and he made it, presented it like, wow, I've, I'm now a bug hunter, the, and blah, blah, this is what I did. And so, of course, what's happened is that... the. Because of the news they got about this, they've they've had a, a surge in bug bounty reports. All of things that they're not yeah. actual really... I get the idea. It's okay to tell people when something's wrong, but bug bounties are really... It's where you've found something that could put other people at direct risk and you want to disclose it responsibly so it can get fixed. And sadly, mm. in this case, you know, by it's nice to be nice to the first person, but it's it sort of... It sort of blew up in their face, sadly, that they just, instead of getting about, uh, you know, one bug bounty report a day, ever since this guy went on Twitter saying, hey, look what I got, you can, I'm now a professional, they're now getting 15 times that number. And <laughs> as far as they can tell from the nature of the reports they're now getting, it was obviously inspired by that by that particular episode. So it's almost like they were kind of... It's almost like they're in this sad position of having to regret that they were nice. Um, so mm, the moral of the story there is... socks and shirts. <laughs> yeah. Well, the, the moral of the story is if you want to get into bug bounty hunting and you find a company that has a bug bounty program uh, and, you know, there are rules and you have to read up a whole lot of stuff and there are things that are out of scope and in scope, make sure you understand all those rules. It's almost Ooh, certain yeah. that the company is not trying to say, look, we don't want to know about the difficult stuff. Just tell us about something where, you know, we can pay a minimal amount of money and look like we care. Companies generally don't do bug bounty programs for, for PR reasons, because after all, it means that when there is a bug bounty paid, somebody found an exploitable bug in your product. So nobody actually wants the bug bounty people to succeed. But when they do, the idea is it's supposed to be for the greater good of all. So those bug bounty programs, as as painful as it may seem to go through all those steps, and the fact I want to report something trivial and the bug bounty program is not the place to do it, those rules are there for a purpose. And they're not there for companies to shirk their responsibility. They're kind of there so that the really important stuff can more easily rise to the top because that's what matters the most, plain and simple. Again, highly recommend you check out that special episode with Katie Mazuris if you want to learn more about bug bounties. If you want to learn more about big bounties, you can check out our Sophos News article. It is on news.sophos.com and it is titled, Have a Domain Name? Big bounty hunters may be on their way. And then, Duck, you had mentioned that Chet is going to be writing a follow-up article, so stay oh, tuned Oh, there's for a pair that. of them, so we'll put those in the show notes as well. 
fantastic. And, and that that podcast, I'd forgotten about that podcast. It's a great listen because it it you know it it's it just goes to show how you know even a very big company like Microsoft can actually get to the point that it, it's able to deal with bug submissions in a way that helps everybody. Right, 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 right. Okay, okay, moving on. Let us stretch our legs a little bit, a little palate cleanser. This is a segment we like to call technology etymology. We're going to be talking about the word byte. Specifically, when it comes to computers, why is byte spelled with a Y? The term byte was coined by Werner Buchholz in June 1956 during the early design phase for the IBM Stretch computer, which had addressing to the bit and variable field length instructions with a byte size encoded in the instruction. It is a deliberate respelling of byte, B-I-T-E, to avoid accidental mutation to bit. So you don't want to be typing Aha. bit because there's eight bits in a byte. And if you type byte as bit, you'd have eight <laughs> bytes and all sorts Well, of technically n- there aren't. Uh, you, know, you've, you could start a flame war there, Doug. Oh, I did. Yeah, I did read that. It's like it doesn't have to be eight. It's, yeah, okay, okay. I'm sorry I said that, everyone. Please. As you're saying, in that stretch computer, there was a field don't at me. in the instruction that that told you the length of the byte. Uh, so the the... I believe the the official word that you will see in things like RFCs and the and ITU publications, where you want to say a byte of eight bits is octet, which refers to a clump of eight bits taken as one value, not as an instrumental group with eight players in it. Hmm. Apparently. And did you know that that half a byte, at least when we talk about eight bit bytes, is conventionally known as a nibble, spelt with a Y? Incredible. Gosh, the 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 terrible humour that you get. And there, <laughs> I, I seem to remember there was an Apple II. Uh, how can I put this? Game archiving tool, uh, <coughs> um, copying program called Nibbles Away, which is meant to be able to copy any disc. Wow! This whole segment's got me hungry. Exactly. All this talk of like nibbles and bites. Anyway, nibbles I'm just bites. hungry. Well, that's why they put the Y in them, right? So that you go, why am I feeling so hungry? Exactly. <laughs> oh, why? Oh, why? Yeah. Well, speaking of why, <laughs> let's talk about this uh, Dutch regulator and this uh, little skirmish oh, with yes. Booking.com. Uh, something happened, mm-hmm. Paul, and they sat on it, and that's that's not how we do things. That's right. This ended up with the Dutch Authority for Personal Data. So it's like they're they're in the UK, they could, I guess, be the Information Commissioner's Office. Now, the story is that it was social engineering. So I know Kimberly is going to have a recommendation for another podcast, uh, special issue podcast, which we'll get to in a minute. Because in this case, it seemed that what happened is that uh, the crooks, they were targeting hotels specifically in the UAE, the United Arab Emirates. Now, I don't know why the UAE. Maybe it's just because they knew that this that the hotels in that region work in this particular way. Um, but those hotels, you know, they, they will have accounts with Booking.com where they go in every day and retrieve the bookings that people have left in Booking.com, get the data out, put into their own booking system and deal with the payment or you know, whatever is required. So they get to have a, this one-time shot to go and get the booking data, the personal data out of the booking.com system and putting it into the hotel. So these crooks phoned up uh, 40 different hotels and they managed to sweet talk people. We don't know how many 
how many accounts they got, but it sounds like there were at least several. But with, with 40 different hotels called and goodness knows how many different operators at different times a day, you imagine, they managed to get passwords, login details for the hotel's own booking.com accounts where they could go in and look at bookings that had to be processed and thereby seize customer data just like that apparently according to the dutch regulator they also tried a trick it sounds like this part of the attack didn't didn't work this way around they phoned up the hotels pretending to be booking.com so it sounds like that didn't work but it did work when they just sweet talked the person whether it was oh we'll give you tech support or we need to help you or whatever but anyway they were able to get hold of passwords go in and they got data and because these were incomplete bookings they were basically bookings in progress. They got not just 4,109 customer data records that included things like name, physical address, phone number, the stuff that you don't really want crooks to have because it's great for identity theft. In 283 cases, they got credit card details. And in 97 of those, they got the CVV, the magic code on the back as well because the transaction wasn't finished yet. You're not supposed to store that code, but it was kind of in transit, I suppose. Whether that's an excuse with PCI DSS, I don't know. But the crooks got in at the point. They were pretending to be the hotel. We're now going to absorb the booking into our system. So you think, golly, 4,000 users, 97 credit card CVVs. I've read about breaches recently with 3 billion records in them. That can't be a big deal. Well, in this case, what the Dutch rec regulator didn't like is that the scam happened apparently in December 2018. Booking.com became aware that the scam had happened and that this data had been uh, disclosed on the 13th of January 2019. They then went into whatever it is that companies go into when they realise there's been a very embarrassing bad data breach of this sort. I think the official term is panic mode. Yes, that, that will be it. Um, and on the 4th of February 2019, they let their customers know. And within three days of that, on the 7th of February 2019, they told the regulator because the regulator's regulations say thou hast 72 hours and no more to tell us when something bad has happened. And the regulator said, I'm terribly sorry, that simply is not good enough. You knew on the 13th of January... You should have told us within three days. You told us 22 days late. That's not acceptable. You know, in other words, the idea being that maybe you don't have the information you need to tell the affected customers. That doesn't mean you're not allowed to tell the regulator because the regulator wants to help you fix this. And the regulator may give you instructions or advice or bring in law enforcement, all sorts of stuff. And so the regulator said, that is very naughty indeed, and find them at €475,000, not so much because of the breach, but because they were late. Because they, the, the Dutch regulator formed the opinion that, in this case particularly, the sooner they had told the customers, the less likely it is that any of them would have got scammed. For example, with a follow-up phone call from someone saying, I'm, I see you have a booking pending with our hotel, made up social engineering, uh, Rachel Toback podcast do listen to uh, you know would you like to pay in advance there's a discount uh, would you like to upgrade your room would you like to add any extras would you like to extend your stay and just like with the census thing where you get this click to continue take over with government websites I've had any number of calls over the years from car rental companies hotels apartment bookings I've done where they contact you in advance and say 
hey, it's three days till you're staying with us. We see you took the pay on arrival option. If you know you're going to be here, you can still not too late to take the pay in advance. Would you like to pay now? I've had that kind of thing genuinely from the genuine company. So the Dutch regulator formed the opinion that this delay, it, it, it was not what the regulations were there for, and it put the customers at extra risk. And so they got cross about it. We had a conference in the fall, and one of the sessions of the conference was our friend, Dr. Nurse, Dr. Jason Nurse. He is a doctor whose last name is Nurse. <laughs> you did it, Kimberly. Dr. We Nurse. We tell him stop. not to make the joke. I can't. But he did it. Don't stop. And uh, Dr. Nurse came we up with We did not. We were very good about it, both of us. Dr. Nurse, friend of the show, friend of the company, came up with this uh, f- framework for how to respond to a data breach for companies Indeed. of any size. So that is up on Naked Security. If you have a company, you should have a plan in place. So uh, yes. search mm-hmm. Naked Security for Jason Nurse. There's a video of the panel uh, inside that article. The panel is hosted by, a, I don't know who it is, but a devastatingly handsome go-getter and up-and-comer in the security space. So check that Doug, out. Doug, you were on it too, weren't you? hey It was me. I was the host. Um, but it's good stuff. It's it's kind of just walks you through, here's how to have a plan in place. Uh, spoiler yes. alert, you should not wait as long as Booking.com did to notify regulators. You should do that as quickly as possible. And then if you have a plan in place, it'll be that much quicker to uh, notify your customers, which you should also do. You're in trouble anyway, so you may as well get the regulator on your side yeah. because, believe me, they've done this before. And they have a good idea of what works and what you should say and how to say it. I can understand, you know, you've had this breach. You think, oh, golly, do we tell everybody who booked we had this breach, but we don't know who is affected yet. And then four million people around the world go and cancel their credit cards and their bookings unnecessarily, which is a cost to everybody, including us. Or do we try and find a bit more? Oh, look, we've got the details. Now we'll tell the people and we'll tell the regulator. You know, go in early. And it is not admitting guilt to have a plan in advance for what to do if the crooks do catch you out. Because even the Dutch regulator in their report say, we know that data breaches happen even if you take precautions. And they weren't saying that's an excuse. It said, but in this case, you just didn't respond in time. And that makes a bad thing even worse. So it's it's not admitting defeat or guilt or incompetence or anything to work from the from the like prepare for the worst you can you can expect the best if you like but as long as you're prepared for how you will deal with a breach in the same way in the old old days what happens if a virus shows up on our network what happens if we get ransomware in the modern era don't leave it until after it's happened to find out because it's probably going to take you more than 72 hours to make your plan if you had it beforehand Not only do you know what the plan is and everyone knows what they've got to do, you can do a dry run and have a practice so if the worst happens, you are not caught napping and nor are your customers. They're much more likely to trust you afterwards if your response is positive and useful and helpful and immediate than if you run around apparently quite flustered by it all. Another special episode we had done was with Rachel Toback, and she is amazing. She was the, uh, I want to say the runner-up for DEF CON's Capture the Flag competition. She is a social engineering 
hacker and expert, and we have a very cool episode where I sit down with her one-on-one, and she talks about how she got into social engineering, some things that companies need to keep in mind, individuals need to keep in mind. She has a phrase that I absolutely love, be politely paranoid. Ever since she said that, it has been in the back of my mind, and I think if we can all become a little bit more politely paranoid, ask questions, question things. Uh, When you get a weird text, when you get a weird phone call, is this the kind of phone call you would be receiving? Um, Ask questions, poke at things, be more of an investigator. Check out the episode. Again, it's with Rachel Toback, and uh, it's a delight. It's a really great episode. Yes, because remember, these crooks do this for a living, Mm -hmm. so they get pretty jolly good at it. And you need your wits about you so that you can follow that rule. If in doubt, don't give it out. Yeah, and I would also recommend checking out that episode from a few weeks back where we had talked about the college student in the UK who got duped by some rando uh, bad dude who talked her into giving away all of her money in her bank account. So we have, uh, unfortunately, quite a few instances where we talk about this at length. Check it out. I hate that story. <laughs> I know I hate Hated that story. it. I don't mean to laugh, I, but I hate I'm laughing because I'm like, oh God, yes, it makes me so angry. So angry. But you know what? Don't be angry right now because we're about to get into the oh no of the week. And the oh, oh no yeah. of the week is a good time. Yeah, it's an oh yeah. Um, let's get right into it. Admiral Muffin Crust. I will pause for Duck to laugh. Oh, finally a normal name. Grief. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, maybe I was pausing for me to laugh. Admiral Muffincrust writes, I work at an MSP that supports a bunch of small to medium businesses in the area. One day, I received a call from a woman who immediately started going off about her mortgage and divorce and ultimately giving me a lot more information about her life than I was probably supposed to have for the job I actually do. Uh, Tier 1 tech support. After a little while, I have to interrupt her to ask who she was trying to call and then told her who she actually called. She got a little flustered from what I remember, but overall took it fairly well. I had another situation like this where a caller was legitimately looking for tech support, but whatever I do, I couldn't find her or her company in our system. Turns out that her company actually had a contract with a different MSP with a similar name to ours. The end. Wait, so uh, what happened here? Is this the same same lady? Turns out that her company actually had a contract with a different MSP with a similar name to ours. Ah, so I that think makes what sense for the support call, right? Right, But it doesn't exactly. make so sense for the woman who, who must have thought it was one of her friends. Unless she thinks it is her buddy at this MSP, right? Like, I can imagine oh, you make friends with somebody, right? And you're like, oh, I'm calling... I'm calling Doug at Acme MSP or whatever. And I just assume that the man who picks up the phone is Doug, Uh right? And I'm like, Doug, oh my God, my divorce, my dog, my cat. And here, Admiral Muffincrust is going, well, why don't you turn it off and turn it back on again? Why don't you try unplugging (laughs) it, plugging it back in? Uh, Yeah, she's obviously got this number that's worked before that always got her through to a buddy. Her buddies yeah. left, or actually, maybe she was just lucky in the past when the team was smaller, and she always got through to the same person, and she actually phoned the number and got someone else on duty. 
heard the voice, thought she recognised it, and as you say, started with the big unload. And all I can say is, it could have been worse, but probably not by much. I mean, it's definitely entertaining. Well, except that the, the guy who had to listen to it can't unhear it. Poor old Admiral. <laughs> um, you know, it's not like he can... Like, At what point do you just... I suppose there comes a point which he must have reached, which is going, stop, 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 stop. Uh, uh, sorry, ma'am, can you... Uh... <laughs> Uh, can you pause for a second about the details of your nasty divorce and uh, <laughs> let me know uh, the purpose of this call? I don't know. This it's call may be recorded funny. for quality purposes. <laughs> a similar situation happened to me where I was trying to reach somebody who previously had this phone number. And a man picked up, sounded exactly like the person I was looking for. And he go, and then uh, he goes, uh, oh, I'm not so-and-so. And I was like, are you joking? I literally kept questioning because he sounded exactly like the person I was trying to reach. And he's like, no, uh, that person used to work here. Oh. I'm so-and-so and I have this phone number now. My and I was God. like, oh, so <laughs> I mean, luckily I wasn't like BFS with this person and trying to unload about uh, personal stuff. But and of course, luckily in the modern era, you wouldn't want to answer like that anyway, because that's a great social engineering trick, right? Uh -huh, you just right. you ask for the previous person, say, "Well, who am I talking to?" But oh no, no, I'm oh no, you've you've reached Paul Ducklin. That you, you wanted so and so. No, 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 they left in give, give out the details because it seems harmless. And suddenly you don't actually know who the other person is. They might not actually been trying to reach the other person. That might have been just part of the ruse. But it sounds in this case as though this woman kind of socially engineered herself. So be careful out there, folks. <laughs> Don't socially engineer yourself. It's bad enough <laughs> without helping it along. Just be careful who you're dialing. Man, uh, confirm that identity before you start unloading. Anyway... If you've enjoyed this episode, you've enjoyed this oh no, and you have an oh no, you can always reach out to us. You can email us tips at sophos.com. You can leave an anonymous comment on any of our articles on nakedsecurity.sophos.com. You can DM us on all of the platforms, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, or you can send me a message on Reddit. My username is oh no, it's Kim, O-H-N-O, it's Kim. And until next time. Stay Do not over egg the pudding, lest you get a nothing burger. <laughs>